some of the aspect of the dialogue that's taking place in the United States that is, sounds harsh is the result of a failure on the part of um, uh, elites, people in Washington, people at think tanks like me and people in Congress, failing to really pay attention to the, the needs and, and problems of, of, um, of um, regular Americans. And they, that frustration grew and grew and grew and they got tired of it. And, and so a little, bit of, a little bit of shaking up, it was due and is necessary to, for us to focus. Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Can a conservative work successfully with a Democratic mayor and a bastion of blue beliefs? Tonight's guest did just that. For seven years, Robert Doerr served in Mayor Michael Bloomberg's administration in New York City, heading up the Human Resources Department. He's currently serving as the president of the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C., a think tank whose stated mission is defending human dignity, expanding human potential, and building a freer and safer world. Robert joins us to talk about AEI's new Social and Cultural Studies Center and what they're learning and doing to address our culture of division and contempt. Robert, welcome to Grace and 30. Thanks for having me. I was talking to you before the program here that I read in the Washington Post article back in, it, it was dated back in January 2019, where it sort of announced your appointment to your current role. And one of the commenters on the article was talking about seeing AEI as sort of staking out the conservative policy and truth ground, and that people who believe in truth, you would sort of be a home for truth in the conservative movement. I guess my curiosity when I read that, do you see AEI's role, at least partly, as uncovering truth and speaking it? Well, we are a research institute, and we do empirical research of, uh, in a variety of subjects, domestic policy, economic policy, foreign and defense policy, uh, and social, cultural, and constitutional issues. And we also uh, have people who do commentary, and, and we want that commentary and that research to be compelling, empirically solid, uh, uh, filled with sort of high principles of solid research. And if that leads our country to the truth or to a better understanding of how to have a, a nation that leads to more human flourishing and greater prospects for more Americans, especially and including those who start uh, with very little, um, then that's a good thing, and that's what we aspire to. We also we have certain sort of guiding principles concerning free markets and free people, limited government, economic opportunity for all. We protect academic freedom, so our scholars um, say what they want to say and not so much what I want them to say or what the management wants them to say. We have, um, you know, we have a lot of scholars that don't always agree on various issues. And we believe in that, that coming together of people and applying themselves to difficult issues and, and exchanging ideas. And in that debate and discussion, we think we can help the country move forward. So you mentioned the word flourishing, human flourishing. G give me an example of you know, the impact that your research uh, has had and, and some of the big things that you're focusing on moving forward. Well, in, in my area of expertise, the thing that I focused on is I'm a former uh, uh, worker in the anti-poverty uh, programs of the United States. Um, the biggest example is the, 
the various scholars, some of whom were associated with AEI, who raised the issue that some of what we were attempting to do in the wake of the 1960s with the Great Society uh, and our public assistance and welfare policies during the 70s and 80s and 90s really weren't working. We weren't helping people move up. We weren't helping people get into employment. We weren't increasing income. And families were struggling more than they were before we made this great effort using the federal government. And so our scholars and other scholars and governors and mayors and people that were elected to office in Washington decided that the evidence showed that that needed significant change. And that led to the welfare reform policies of the 1990s uh, and the Welfare Reform Act that President Clinton signed in 1996. And that led to real changes in the way that particular program was managed and the way we were communicating um, the path to a flourishing situation for families was through employment and then sub supplementing that employment with various work supports that made work pay. And that led to, I think, stronger outcomes for families. Poverty declined. Yeah, give me uh, some statistics. Well, the percentage of, of children, of parents in single parent families working went up by 20 percentage points. So that's greater work. Work is a path toward a better human flourishing existence. Um, income increased. Uh, child poverty declined quite significantly, um, in not only in New York State and New York City, but around the country. Um, and that's accepted by people on both the left and right. And it was an example, actually, of something that was very bipartisan. I mean, Bill Clinton signed the bill. Republicans in conference, uh, Congress proposed it. Governors, both Democrats and Republican governors, were happy to implement it. So, um, you know, that's an example of where an idea and a, and a, a body of research and uh, a collection of, 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 of compelling pieces of journalism and commentary led to a change of public policy in the United States that then led to, I think, improvements. Now, we've got a long way to go. We're not perfect, and we've got there are issues that are still to be addressed. And there are a lot of people who don't see it the way I see it, but, but most people who really studied it would not say we want to go back to have New York City be the way it was, for instance, in 1975 or 1985. And, and I'm not talking about for wealthy people. I'm talking for poor people. Uh, they would say, no, the circumstances we have now is better than that. We, they might say we want to do even more, but they wouldn't say that we want to go back. So that's an example of work that came out of uh, people that were in uh, the academic world and public policy world leading to pol policy change. There are others. So your predecessor, Arthur Brooks, he wrote a book <clears throat> called Love Your Enemies. I've read most of the book. I think I got another 20 or so pages to go. And that sort of was his thing, his signature. It was this, this notion of you know, how to deal with a culture of contempt. Well, he, he's a, he was a very loving guy and a great loving leader of AI. And we are nonpartisan. And we, we, we like the debate, the fair, civil, respectful debate on difficult uh, subjects. And we love our country and we love our fellow um, citizens. And, and so that's, that's consistent with the way in which AI has always gone about its business. We're not known to be haters or, or, or people that, that uh, treat others with contempt. Uh, th but I should say that that doesn't mean, and never meant for Arthur, that we don't feel strongly about certain values mm -hmm. and that we don't feel 
strongly that, that various positions we take, for instance, on the benefits of, of uh, capitalism or the benefits of our United States Constitution or the exceptional nature of the United States. We feel those things strongly, but for those who don't see it our way, we don't, we don't disparage them, but we, we, um, we try to bring them along. Mm -hmm. We're in the business of persuading people to see uh, what, what uh, we think the evidence shows. And that, in order to do that, you can't treat them with contempt, and that's what we and we don't do that. So, what do you think about the current environment? I mean, clearly, we're we're you know, many people believe we're in kind of a dangerous time, and it's heading in a worsening direction. Well, the yeah. United States has been through very difficult and contentious and divided times. This is not uh, entirely unusual to our history or to, to world history. I mean, 1862, 1932, 1968, those were in many ways, more contentious and unpleasant and difficult, and we got through them. Of course, you know, in 1862, we got through them because we had the wonderful leadership of President Lincoln, who was always conscious of appealing to the better angels uh, of our of our of our souls. And so, um, uh, you know, now as it were, there's a contentious debates. That's true, um, especially in the rarefied inside world of. Washington media, and if you're on Twitter or you follow social media, you know, or go on certain television shows, it seems like there's a lot of contention. But, you know, out there in the country, out there in America, you know, I'm sort of of the group that sort of thinks most Americans aren't quite that riled up about uh, these issues and, and view, view, them, view their neighbors and their friends and their political adversaries um, with respect. Um, they're not all quite wound up the way they are in Washington. Having said that, um, you know, AI is a place where if you want to get away from that kind of rhetoric and that kind of uh, disparagement of your political opponents and you want to be in a place where we're, we're trying to, to uh, use the evidence and facts and persuasion to, to bring us together, that's where we are, and we're standing there, and we're standing there uh, proudly and solidly, and a lot of people support us as a result mm. of that. I mean, if I, when I go around the country, which I do a lot of, or when I go around Washington and I talk about what AEI offers as a place, a convening place to have some of these hard issues uh, talked through and worked out and debated um, in a way that's respectful but also um, serious and focused, uh, people say, I, I want that. I mm. want to be part of that. I want to be at AEI. I want to support AEI. And so that makes me feel as if, you know, sure, there are loud voices and there's un some unpleasant personalities, but uh, the vast majority of Americans and the vast majority of people who care about the future of our country and are involved in public policy, in my opinion, still want very much to 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 be at a place like AI that is uh, trying to use empirical evidence and solid research and academic freedom and the competition of ideas to find solutions for our country. Yeah, I read an article recently, a paper, or not all of it, uh, called Hidden Tribes, and it talked about the exhausted majority. Are you familiar with that work? I don't know that book. Yeah, it's it's basically it's a it's a hundred and thirty page uh, report, and it talked about the the ten percent on each extreme, and it's kind of what you were saying there. It's not all Americans are like that. The research showed that the people in the middle, the eighty percent, were exhausted. 
<laughs> because yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I think if you talk to you know, I I see lots of people, my own family members and friends and and from around the country. There is a sort of uh, turn the television off, uh, turn the radio off uh, component of their sentiment, and it's uh, it's perfectly legitimate. Uh, there's also the, the the component of avoiding people literally at work in your family in your neighborhood who have dramatically different views than you this is happening i mean arthur cites it in his book it's because the the reason for that is because people on both sides uh are 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 questioning people's motives and their moral their moral standing and they're they're making people uh they're they're shunning people. They're saying you shouldn't be allowed to speak. You shouldn't be allowed to be in the discussion. You are. They're using words like evil or fascist hmm. or, and all of that is just it, that's going to make people not want to participate in the debate because it's it's inappropriate and it's bad. And we do we should speak out against that because uh, that silences discussion and that that um, there's not an example of grace. That's for sure. So. Does speaking out against it work, or is there something else that works? What is the thing that we need to do in this country to get people to behave the way they should behave, To be, whether it's civility, grace, whatever you call it? What is the thing that's actually workable? I mean, I, I agree with what Arthur says. I'm, I'm, I'm hardcore into grace and its power and its realness and into you know, the power of loving your enemy. My wife and I, when we were divorced, we were pretty bad enemies. And by I loving think you her, set an example. I think you... Uh you stay at it. You don't. You don't. Uh, you don't retreat into a corner. Um, you stay positive about uh, your country and about America generally. Um, and this fever will pass. And uh, and 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 I think. And I think that that is what a lot of people are doing. I mean, I I, I think um, you know the particular um, the particular political rancor is pr very severe now. I acknowledge that. But um, we're going to have an election. We're going to have an election in November. And um, that's going to be an opportunity for Americans to express their views. And I'm hoping that as a result of that election that, that we can then say, okay, let's start fresh and go forward. And I, I should stress that. That's an important one. Um, the, the number one lesson of American democracy, one of the number one lessons, there are many, um, is of course that famous inaugural address by Thomas Jefferson when he said we are all Republicans, we are all Democrats. And um, or he may have said Federalists and, and Republicans, I can't remember, but it was it was a we're all in this together speech. And then of course the example that General Washington set, uh, President Washington set, when he walked away from power. Um, and the toleration of the opposition. I mean, you can't do, you know, every, every student of American history knows toleration of the opposition is one of our fundamental great qualities as a country. And um, so I think that's another thing that you do is, is that you, you go to the people, you ask for their, uh, their support, uh, you contest an election, if you if you win, you 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 shake the hand of the other guy and you say let's work together to go forward. And if you lose, you acknowledge that and you move on and you don't question the results or challenge the underlying process. If you do that and you don't accept it, um, then I think you that we could have a real problem and that would be really unfortunate. I I should say that you know I was 
I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, the morning after the most recent presidential election, AI scholars and others gathered in our in our sort of where we our dining room and where there was a television set, and, and we watched when Mrs. Clinton came down to give her concession speech. And the feeling, if you go, someone should go back and read that transcript of that speech. She exhibited that toleration of the opposition and that recognition that she had lost the election and that it was time to, to, to step aside and let the new president, you know, when he was inaugurated, move forward. And I remember one of the other scholars said, sort of under breath, and we all heard it, as those words came out of Mrs. Clinton's mouth, she, he said, um, her finest moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we go into this coming election, it's, it, one thing that is on my mind is that... Uh, we're, our political process works. We have elections and people vote and they're voting. I don't know what the heck happened out in Iowa in the Democratic primary, but by and large, that doesn't happen. And we need to respect the will of the people. And when those votes come in and we need to respect our constitutional system that determines presence through the Electoral College, and then we need to go forward. And um, that'll be a, a key uh, moment in our history and if if like for instance you're raising you're you're a, you're a proponent of grace you're a supporter of grace and and this this cacophony that's going on in washington's probably getting under your skin it's really upsetting you and i get that um and it will it will begin to get under my skin i'll be very worried if um uh, this have we have a lot of contending of the election, of the will, uh, unwillingness to accept the results. That would be uh, appalling to me, and and it would be a sign of of trouble. Do you have anybody dedicated to sort of promoting this sort of? You know, Arthur leaves. He's up at Harvard now, <clears throat> and you know, is there is there sort of this undercurrent of of, of love your enemies and you know ex and, and just treating people properly? Well, with, Arthur's with... magic worked on all of us, and he would want me to say emphatically that we all uh, uh, are totally committed to those principles uh, every day. He is kind of sui generis. There's no one quite like Arthur Brooks, and. Uh, we don't have someone who is as eloquent and as and as spiritual and as and as determined and dedicated to, to make that case. Uh, but we have others that are that that make it in their own way and by their own example. We have set up a new center called Social, Cultural, and Constitutional Studies under Yuval Levin, and he is writing as as is Ryan Streeter, who's the head of our domestic policy unit. They are writing about the institutions of American life that bring us together: our churches, our communities, our neighborhoods, our uh, rotaries, and our, you know, uh, farm farmer gatherings, uh, granges. And those things still exist in America. They, they play a role, and they play an important role. And in a way, that's kind of a furtherance of Arthur's message. Arthur's message wasn't always about federal government policies. It was about human interaction, one human being to another. And... Um, we talk about that. A lot of us talk about that. And uh, we'll continue to talk about that. And, and often when we do, we'll be remembering Arthur's and, and be inspired by his, his previous work. So we had a brief conversation. I told you about the concept of a grace lobbyist. Because I, I often have thought, you know, people are just pouring. Michael Bloomberg is spending 300 some million dollars on ads, you know, tearing the other person up and other people are spending money. Everyone's spending money on social media campaigns and all for their own purposes. Well, you know, I, I have to just stop you there just for a second. Some of the ads are are positive ads. Don't, don't okay. not forgive every me, ad that me. appears. Um, um, uh, Mike Bloomberg has an ad, for instance, that 
contrasts the language and the rhetoric of Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush and Lyndon Johnson and John Kennedy. Doesn't, he, sh he shows clips of their presidential rhetoric. And then he contrasts it with some of the rhetoric we've heard lately, the rhetoric that's bothering you. Um, that's a, that's a, that is a, um, a call to a higher, you know, to a, to a higher standard of, of political uh, dialogue. Now, having said that, there is a, we have to be cautious against a kind of phony sweetness that doesn't really speak bluntly to the American people. And the American people are justified in, in, in being a little tired of that. They want to know, they're not, they're, they're, there's a, you know, President Trump, to his credit, um, is a reaction against excessive political correctness. And, and, they, and that has its downsides, too. It may be sweet and nice and loving, the politically correct language, but it's not always truthful. It's not always... And it can be in its own way demeaning of the other side. And so, um, you know, I just I want to be careful here because I we're I, I see wisdom on both political sides. I, get, I, I am someone who's open to both uh, views. Um, and I think um, uh, some of the aspect of the dialogue that's taking place in the United States that is sounds harsh is the result of a failure on the part of um, uh, elites, people in Washington, people at think tanks like me and people in Congress, failing to really pay attention to the, the needs and, and problems of, of, um, of um, regular Americans. And they, that frustration grew and grew and grew and they got tired of it. And, and so a little, bit of, a little bit of shaking up, it was due and is necessary to, for us to focus. So I'll give you a good example. Um, it's well, well accepted by economists that, that free trade in, in overall is, uh, is good for all of us. It, the exchange of goods and services across borders is, is good for economic well-being and it has contributed to a significant increase in well-being of people all over the world. And that all sounds nice and sweet. But it does have sometimes some losers, some people that don't uh, benefit, that have to lose their job because they get outcompeted by a foreign or a company, company or um, a goods and services being sold by people from other parts of the world. And in the sweetness and, and rhetoric about the greatness of free trade, we forgot that some people don't benefit always. And we ought to have thought of, well, what are we doing, about, what are we doing for them? And let's acknowledge that there's a downside. And... Um, so that's an example where this sort of calling to a greater, a greater good ignored a, a minority of individuals, but still a significant minority of individuals who weren't benefiting. And their frustration built up and built up, and it was on that, and it was on other things too. And it was time for us to be called to account on that. And sometimes we have to be called to account that on that in a harsh and direct way. And so... Um, uh, you know, I, I, I am, uh, maybe I've been in the, been in, you know, you were, you opened the show by saying that I'm the conservative welfare reformer who operated in New York City. And there's some truth to that. There's absolute truth to that. We, I was doing things that liberal New Yorkers were not accustomed to having done. Work requirements and welfare policy. More, uh, 
stringent protections against fraud, waste, and abuse. A, a emphasis on getting people into work, not just giving people benefits. But I did it in a in a way that that um, reached out and reached across and and tried to bring people together. And ultimately, we all we all respected each other. And we um, so I what I mean to say is that you can you just because we want grace, as you say, and love your enemies, doesn't mean we can't take strong positions on hard issues. And I think. Um, that's what I want to do at AEI. I, I want to preserve uh, this spirit that, you de that you've described concerning Arthur, Arthur's rhetoric, but also reignite a, a commitment to speak directly and frankly about some fundamental values that uh, are why our country is so strong and so great and why we have to preserve them, like free trade and free markets and free people, limited government, strong America role in the world. I mean, you know, we're, you mentioned grace and loving your enemies. Well, you know, the, the great tragedy in the world right now is happening in Syria. Hundreds of thousands of human beings are fleeing across borders in a scene that is like, you know, World War One or World War Two or, or where where whole populations were had to evacuate because on the onslaught of, of armies coming across killing them. Mm -hmm. um, that's what's happening in Syria right now, and the United States sh should should not be ignorant of that and and, and unconcerned, and um, and so what do we want to do at AI is bring attention to the fundamental challenges of our of our world. And um, and that may require us to both uh, uh, to to say some strong things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I love a scripture. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. That shows you that the scriptures don't talk about. It's not all kumbaya and being civil. Sometimes, like Martin Luther King or others, you have to stand up to injustice. So I got no problem with that, and I'm not confused by that either. There you go. That's Sometimes good. Sometimes grace that. is very, yeah. very standing up for what is right. And I always talk about the third option. Jesus didn't fight, and he didn't flight. He stood in the face of oppression. And Martin Luther King, Gandhi, these people modeled their approaches based on what Jesus did. That's how powerful it was. And that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about grace, let's not make any mistake. Good, I, I, good for I you. I mean standing up firm. So, and, and I'd love to see your organization do the same. So we got about another minute for you. Is there something, when you talk to people these days, that you always want to leave them with? You want to always want to make sure you say and you'd like to share right now with the audience? Well, one thing I would want to point out is that the American Enterprise Institute is, um, is considered sort of right of center uh, because we believe in, in freedom and free markets and limited government and strong America role in the world. But we believe that uh, those things, not because they're particularly good for us or for elites or for wealthy people. We believe them most fervently because we think they're best for people that struggle the most in America. That that a strong economy with people providing jobs and people uh, growing businesses and a welfare system that encourages employment over dependency and a welfare system that talks about the benefits of two parents active and involved in children's lives as being the, the framework and the basis for getting a child off to a good start is going to be more successful if you do that in helping those who are the least among us. Yeah, you know, those who struggle the most, those who come into life uh, 
uh, low income and poor and, and, and in, um, among minorities that have been discriminated against. We're for those things because they're best for them. Uh, and I think people don't understand that, and I want them to know that. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. And if people want to find out more about the American Enterprise Institute, please visit them on the web at AEI.org. A recording of this program can be found at thegrayson30.com and WERA.FM websites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed and Robert signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.